Father, we are excited once again to be in your presence. Because where you are, there is fullness of life. There is freedom. There's liberty. There's healing. There is so much joy in your presence. And we want to experience it all. So, Father, right now, as, as a collective group of sons and daughters, we, we ask that you would empty ourselves from, from, the, from the things that we have walked through up to this moment, that we would just drop it all, that you give us the grace to do so, so that our hearts, our spirits, our minds, everything that we are is open to receive all that you have for us. You're a God who loves to give, and your, your gifts are rich and pure and they bring so much freedom to us. So we, we, we want to proclaim, as a group, as sons and daughters, we want it all. We want all the freedom that you have for us. So help us this morning, this moment, to be ready to experience what you have for us. I ask, Father, that you would, first of all, that you would empty me of me. That you would take everything that is in the way of presenting your word today. Everything that keeps me from being your servant today, empty me of that. It's only that your words, your heart, your great desire for us is the only thing that is presented today. Ah, we need that. As your sons and daughters, we need that. So we proclaim our great need of you, and we praise you, and we thank you for this. And we ask it in, in Jesus' name. Amen. What's next? It's a good question. As I was thinking about what to preach this Sunday, I was going to do a repeat performance of a, of a sermon I gave at New Beginnings a couple of weeks ago about the Badlands. So I thought it would be a good fit. Not sure if everybody got an opportunity to hear it online or not. So I thought that would be a good fit. But as Sunday got closer and closer, I was just, it just wasn't, it didn't really settle with me. And I wasn't really quite sure what to do. And so I did one of the most spiritual things you could do and, uh, is, is I took a shower. Okay, because cleanliness is close to godliness, right? So I took a, I took a shower and in there and I'm, I'm praying and I'm saying, God, what do you want me to do? And he goes, and I really felt that God said, well, well, what's on your heart? I said, no, I keep on thinking about what's next. And then I just kind of heard kind of God almost like snicker in a way, saying, yeah, what's next? Why don't you talk about that? I said, okay, will you help me? <laughs> because I ain't got a clue what's next. Uh, this transitional period of, you know, stepping away from full-time appointment uh, to full-time pastor has been an interesting one so far. Just kind of like 14 days into or 17 days into this. And, you know, uh, leadership and had, had counseled us, our oversight team has counseled us to, to, to take this month kind of easy, not to fill it up with things and plans and dreams and visions. Just kind of sit, listen to God, see what he says. And so, but I have to admit to you that I, I have not been really good at that. I've been... I've been really anxious. I've been, uh, and the word that I keep on coming up with, I've been really kind of confused about this. It's not, I'm not used to not working. Okay. And yes, I still am working, but it's different. 
So I'm not, you know, even when my wife goes to work and I'm still at home, it's a, it's a bizarre reality for me. So, honestly, for 17 days, this has been on my heart about what's next. What's next, God? What are, what are you up to? Now, that question, what's next, can be asked of God in several different emotional ways. You can come off an emotional high like a trusteeist weekend or some other retreat type of weekend. You can be like powered up and infused with the spirit. And you can just be like just so on fire. And you're you're looking at God and you say, okay, God, what's, what's next? What's next? I'm ready. Here I am. Send me. You can do it that way. Or you could be going through just a real steady time of your life. Just you're really connecting with God. You're, you're, you're seeing him move in your everydayness of life. And you get to a point where you're, maybe you've just walked through a season of what I've just ex, uh, ex, said that you were, and it's been a kind of a quiet down season, and you're saying, okay, God, what would you like me to do next? What's next? And then there's the third way. When maybe you're, you're in the midst of a huge struggle. Maybe it's been one thing after the other. You lose someone special. You get a, a phone call with a diagnosis that is not good. You lose your job. Your dog runs away. Whatever it is, these, these things these, that hurt us, that, that make us ask the question in this way, God, what is next? And maybe that question leads to the next question. Where are you? Where are you, Lord? See, that what next question is a a huge one, depending on how we're asking it, where we are in our journey with Christ at the moment. Because there's, there's one thing about journeying with Christ that's sometimes it's so crystal clear. Your next step, you know it. You know where you're going. God has laid out the steps. You know how to put the one foot in front of the other. You, you see it so clearly. There's no denying it. And it's so purposeful. And you understand the way. And you see it. It's, it's like, man, I know I'm going this direction. And it, those are beautiful moments. And, and then there are moments where it's, it's not so clear. You're not sure where to put your foot next. It's, it's uncomfortable. And maybe you're taking a step forward, you start to take some steps back. Because you know what's behind you, but you're not really quite sure what's ahead of you. So that, one, that what's next is, is a little bit frightening, it's a little bit scary, it's a little bit disconcerting. Am I the only one that feels that way sometimes? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking even this morning, and I think Sarah kind of alluded to this, maybe this morning the, the, the life that you dreamed about, of, a, of experiencing with Christ, this, this picture that you had in your head, this morning seems so distant and unattainable this morning because of that what next thing. Because of what are you walking through? What are you experiencing? What you're, what you're not sensing from, this, from the Holy Spirit at this moment? 
the distance that you feel from God maybe this morning. And maybe that life that you thought that powerful freedom, liberty, walking life of crisis, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe, maybe it's not for me. Maybe I can't attain it. And I think all these things that happen at various times in our life, and, that, and I know, I know it's a challenge. What's next? Where are you? And I believe God has the answer for us this morning. As I, as I sat down in front of the Bible and, and I started to read some scripture, and it, I'd like you to turn to John 21. John 21. Because what we're going to read in this story, the disciples were facing a similar dilemma in this story. A what next moment in their life. A huge one in their moment. So we're going to go to John 21. We're going to read verses 1 to 14. This story resonates with me so much. There is so much in this part of of chapter 21 that... It's just amazing. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Basically, have you caught anything? You ever walk by a fisherman on the beach or something? Have you asked that question of fishermen? This poor guy was down by the river the other day. There was a guy, he was just walking down to the shoreline just every once in a while, just casting his, uh, his line into the water. And there was other people there, and every one of them asked him, have you caught anything? Where it was pretty obvious that he wasn't catching anything and probably had no interest in catching fish. He was just, he was just casting and walking around. And he got to me, and I resisted the urge. I did not ask him that. But when I asked him, I said, how's your day? He says, my day is good. I'm just casting my line. In the, I don't care if I catch anything or not. I'm retired. And he looks over his shoulder. But Jesus is basically, he's on the shoreline and he's having a little fun with his friends. Hey guys, you catch anything? Jesus knows that they haven't caught anything at this point. How do I know that? Well, we're going to find out in a minute. How do I know that? The answer is him, no, he said to the, and so he said to them, why don't you cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some? So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple who Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Peter has a habit of this. He throws himself into the sea. The other disciples came in, in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For them, were not far off from the land. But they were about 100 years, yards off. 
Now, when they got to, out to land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus makes them breakfast. I love that. I love that. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many that the net wasn't torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, now that the disciples there asked him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread. And you wonder where he got the bread from too, right? And he gave it to them and so would the fish. And now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I said I love this story for many reasons. But you have to look at Peter here. Peter has a lot of questions at this moment in his life. A lot of what's next moment questions. For a lot of Peter's life, he knew what he was going to do every day. He got up early. He prepared his nets. He got in a boat with a bunch of other guys. They went fishing. Hopefully they would catch some fish. He brought the fish back. He sold it at the market. He went home. He probably ate. He went to sleep. And he got up the next morning and did the same thing for years. This was Peter's routine. And then Jesus happened. Jesus comes and totally messes with his life. Turns it upside down for the good. But for three years, Peter is following his Messiah and becoming a fisher of men now. His new routine is, is glorious. He is watching miracles. He is partnering with Jesus in, in ministry. He is seeing Jesus do things that must have blown his mind. We read about it and that blows our mind. But Peter was actually there seeing the miracles after miracles after miracles. For three years he witnessed this, and then the cross happens. His friend, his Lord, his Messiah is murdered on a, on a cross. Their lives are totally blown apart again. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Although Jesus had told him what was going to happen, Peter doesn't know or believe what's going to happen. Three days after that, Jesus rises from the dead and has visited the disciples. It says this was the third time, so at least twice that is recorded in Scripture. But it leaves Peter and the rest of the disciples kind of unsettled. Why? Because for three years, Jesus never left their side. They constantly traveled with each other. They breathed the same air. They ate the same food. They walked the same path. They witnessed and took part in the same miracles. And now Jesus seems to be popping in and out of their lives somewhat seemingly randomly. Did you ever read these scriptures where Jesus is, walks through a wall and is suddenly with them? Or then suddenly just disappears? Did that ever stop you guys when you were reading those stories and make you wonder what was going on? 
why Jesus was popping in and out of their lives at this moment, where seemingly you would think that they needed Jesus the most. I found it a little strange, and I still find it a little strange that Jesus does that. And I'm assuming that the disciples are thinking the same thing, because, you know, Peter says, you know what, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go fishing. Because that's what I know how to do. He goes to find comfort in what he used to do, but he finds no comfort. He goes what used to bring him a profit, but now it, 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 there's no profit in it. He can't even catch a fish. But I think there's something wonderfully embedded in Peter's heart that, that God uses that whole fisherman mentality to draw him back again. It's a beautiful thing that God is doing in this, in this story for Peter's heart and for the rest of the disciples. Because the beautiful part about this story is this is the same place where Jesus first called the disciples. When he first called them to come follow me. He returns to the place where he first called them in order to call them back. I find that tremendously kind of God. In the midst of their what next moment, Jesus takes them back to the beginning. I'm going to show you what's next, Jesus. I'm I'm going to do something here, but you know I'm going to bring you back to the beginning. And the kindness of God is that I'm going to feed you breakfast first. I'm going to take care of a, a very specific physical need because you've been up all night, you've been fishing, you haven't caught anything. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to I'm going to feed you first. And with Peter, that's very significant because later on, he tells Peter that he has to go feed my sheep. There's something wonderfully connected with all that. Let's move on. Here's the thing about Jesus popping in and out of this story, seemingly randomly. Jesus is teaching them and preparing them even now for the, for, for the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is part of the training thing that's happening. But Jesus is also saying to them, will you trust me? Will you trust the training that I gave you for, years, for three years? Will you believe the promises that I have said even though you don't see me? And I think that's the same thing that he asks us. Peter and the disciples had the great advantage of actually walking and touching Jesus. We don't have that, but we also have the wonderful privilege of the Holy Spirit inside of us. But the same question is asked of us. In your what next moment, will you trust this word, this wonderful word? Will you trust my promises in here, my instructions in here, the things that I'm leading you into, will you trust this even though maybe you don't feel my presence? Maybe you don't sense my presence right now. Maybe you're, and you're part of your journey right now. You, you, your feelings are not anywhere near part of this, but will you trust my word even though you don't feel me? Will you trust me though you do not see me? 
And I think this is why he's asking these disciples these important questions. Did you catch anything? I think there's a, there's a lot of things that we can catch from this story. But I think we need to ask that, the answer to that question. Did you catch anything? And I, I remember a few years ago, during a very troublesome, really wrestling time with God. And I really felt, after a, a season of wrestling with him about a particular issue, I really felt like God asked me that particular question. And it seemed out of place for, for, for the season I was walking in. And, but he, he asked me that question, Jay, have you caught anything? And I hate fishing, so that didn't make any sense to me. And so I went back to the story. And I come back to the story often. I said, what is it that you want me to catch? I mean, I understand the concept of being a fisher of men. And I said, but what is it that you're after? What is it about my heart that you're after? He says, because the way you answer that question, he said, it, it reveals about what you believe about me. And what you think about my word. Because I think the things that God wants us to catch, yes, He wants us to become fishers of men. He wants us to, to go into all the world and make disciples of all men. And it's important to be fishermen in that sense. But there's something to catch within His word. Something that hooks us. Something that roars us and eventually frees us. But we have to catch something. I want to share with you three things I think I see from this story. There's many things, but there's three things I, I saw that are really, really, I think, huge for our what next moments. And the first thing is that waiting on God shouldn't be a surprise for the followers of, of, of Christ. Waiting on God shouldn't be a surprise for sons and daughters of God. Sometimes we're stuck in a very hard place and we're waiting for release or, or rescue. Many times we're waiting on God for understanding and wisdom and guidance. Sometimes we're waiting on Him for, for provision, for healing, deliverance. If you have journeyed with, with Christ at any, any length of time, you're under, we have to understand that waiting on God is a huge part of our walk. Waiting on God is a good place. God's timing and purposes are not always clear to us, but they're always the best for us. God's timing and purposes are not always clear to us, but they are always the best for us. God wants our faith to be dependent on Him and for us to trust Him. Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Waiting on God takes trust. 
It takes faith. It takes belief that God has our best interests in mind. Waiting on God is huge. And next, I think this story teaches that Jesus is in, always in complete control. The disciples, they were experienced and seasoned fishermen. They knew how to catch fish. And they caught nothing that night. Absolutely nothing. Not even a minnow. Nothing. They were seasoned, veteran fishermen. They knew how to do this. And Jesus says, I have control of your boats. I have control of the fish. I have control of the ocean. And I have control of time. And when Jesus speaks, things happen. When Jesus tells us to do something and we obey, life happens. The next get full. He's always in control. I know there are times when we don't feel like there's any control going on, that no one has control. And certainly we don't have control. But Jesus teaches the disciples, you know what? There could be no fish in the ocean until I say so. But when I say so, that ocean is full of fish. And you can't help but catch them. I'm in control. I'm sovereign. I've got you. I will always have you. That's a beautiful part of the story. So first he's telling us that Waiting on God shouldn't be a big surprise. And then, you know, that He is always in complete control. Matthew 19.26 says, But Jesus looked at them, talking to about the disciples. This is when the rich young ruler came to, to ask about, you know, what must I do to, to enter the kingdom of God? And he didn't like Jesus' answer, and he walked away sorrowful. And, and the... the, the uh, Disciples were wondering if if it was possible for a rich person to enter heaven. And Jesus says this. He said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But with God, some things are possible? No, all things. With God, are just the things that God feels like is possible? No, all things are possible. But here's the, I think here's the thing. Will we trust God with the defini- definition of all things? Will we, will we allow God to define what all things means for us at that moment? See, if we allow God to, to define all things for us, I think our peace, I think peace comes. If I trust my definition of what all things look like, it's far different than God's definition of all things. Most of the time. But those moments when I when I when I know that I'm going to trust Him with the definition of all things, I am at peace, and it can't be shaken. We allow Him to define what all things. And the third point, I think, is that Jesus is always serving us even when we can't see Him. 
when we go back to this verse in Matthew 19.26, there's an important word here, and it's the word possible. That word possible means able, powerful, mighty, strong. And that, the picture of that is what the Greeks meant, that there is a picture of a mighty man doing mighty deeds that could not be stopped. That's what that Greek concept of that word possible, that there, that there was this mighty man, he was doing mighty deeds, and he could not be stopped. Our Messiah acts like a mighty man by serving us. He gave himself for us. He's always drawing us in closer and closer into this covenant relationship with the Father. Like a mighty man. There is nothing that can keep you from entering God's presence because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. He is a mighty man. All things are possible. Not some things. Not a few things. All things are possible with God. And when God provides, His provision is off the charts. God breaks the nets. (laughs) God overflows the nets. God just gives you more fish than you can handle. His provision is specific. He fed them breakfast. He already had fish that they knew none of, of. He had bread that they didn't know he had. He provided uh, for a physical need, but it was more than just a physical need. He was saying to them something spiritual. He says, you know what? You're my friends. I'm going to take care of you. And like a mighty man, I'm about to restore you to right relationship with me. Certainly he does that with Peter. Asking him, Peter, do you love me? And having Peter going through that physical exercise, that spiritual exercise, that mental and emotional exercise of answering those questions to the Lord that he denied, and Jesus, like a mighty man, restores him to fellowship. Mm. And that was through serving breakfast first. Taking care of a specific need. in order to burst the nets wide open. I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. Specific and abundant is God's provision. Isaiah 64.4 says this, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, or I has seen a God besides you. Basically, this is saying, there, our senses can't handle you, God. You are bigger than any, any expressions uh, that we can even conceive of. Our eyes, we can't, we can't handle it. You're so great. He says, uh, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait on him. Now, this word wait in the Hebrew means to stick to, to engrave or carve into, and to pierce. The Hebrew word is, this really means that you become part of something. When we wait on him, we become part of him. See, this is, waiting is just not some kind of, 
I'm hiding in the corner somewhere. And then when, as soon as God t- tells me it's okay to come out, I'll come out. Waiting is an active pursuit of faith. Knowing that we are carved into God. That we actually, while we wait, we're being connected to Him. We're becoming one with Him. And when you become one with God, the next step is a lot easier to take. Even if you can't see Him. Even if you can't feel Him at the moment. God is saying, will you trust me with the next step? Will you continue to the next step? Because I've already placed inside of you my word. I've already taught you. I've already talked to you. I will continue to talk to you. I will never stop talking to you. Will you just trust me with the next step? And this is what he was asking the disciples here. Will you just trust me with the next step? I just want to share a couple of scriptures with you just about what's next. Some things that the scriptures talk about and I think that could help us. And if we offer, the, if, I want to add a fourth way of asking what's next. Instead of a desperateness. You know, last week Tim talked about, you know, let's cry out to God. Let's cry out to God. So when we want to ask God what's next, can we offer it up as a prayer? Can we make it an attitude of prayer now? Instead of a desperate plea for rescue. There's nothing, asking, nothing wrong with asking God for rescue. I'm not saying that. But this attitude of prayer, of asking God what, what's next, if we can offer it as a prayer and worship, I think will open up our hearts to, to, to go through the tough time that we might be going through, to get direction and guidance that we're looking for, and to see Him maybe for the first time in a long time. Because if I'm asking God, what's next, God? I trust you. All of a sudden, my eyes are no longer on the path. They're on him, and I can see the path a whole lot better. Does that make sense? Because when we're looking at him, we're no longer looking at our circumstances. When we're looking at him, we're not seeing the, the, the pain and the trials and the, and, 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 the, and the hardship that we're walking through. We're seeing him. And that helps us walk through the hardship, the pain, and the trials keeping our eyes on Him and praying, Father, what's next? Helps us to be ready for the next step. So I just want to share with you a couple more scriptures. Real quick. Matthew 28, 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. Be sure of this. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He does not leave us, even when we don't feel Him, even when we don't sense His presence, even when we think He's left us. I will never leave you or forsake you, He also says. Be sure of this, He says. Be confident of this. Settle this. I am always with you, even to the end of the age. It doesn't ever leave us. Psalm 32.8. Psalm 
The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway. The best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. The promise here is that he will guide us and he will watch over us when he's guiding us. And it's just not any pathway. It's the best pathway. When my wife got cancer, it was the best pathway at that moment in our lives. It didn't seem like it at times. But it was. Because God always leads us along the best pathway. Again, it's asking God what's next in a, in, a, in a form of a prayer. Even when we don't feel Him or see Him active in our life, He is guiding us and He's watching over us, leading us along the best pathway. Psalm 37, Psalm 37, 23 to 24, The steps of a man are established by the Lord and when He, when he delights in His way. Though he fall, he will not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. He enables us to walk in his, away, in his ways, holding us all the way. So if we stumble, he's there to grab us before we fall flat on our face. I find that immensely comforting because I know that I'm going to stumble somewhere along here. My journey with Christ. Somewhere along the way, I'm going to stumble. but I'm not going to fall flat on my face because someone's going to grab my hand. And he has established my steps. And here's the thing. If you've given your, your heart to him, he will always establish your steps. And lastly, Philippians 4, 6-7. And here's where we offer this up as a prayer. Don't be anxious about anything, which means we have a choice, first of all. This is a choice. It means we have power not to be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, this is what you do. Don't be anxious about it. Decide not to be, but here's what you do in every situation. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, you present your request to God. When we cry out to God, when we, we, we just, God, I need you, we're doing it with thanksgiving and we're praying, uh, praying and we're giving our petition without being anxious. It's possible. This is what this says. Because the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus is in every one of our moments. Every difficult one, every joyful one, every, every moment of our life, Jesus is there. And he says, you know what? I know there are moments when you're going to need to cry out to me, and I, I want you to cry out to me. But don't be anxious. In this world, you, you're going to have many trials and tribulations, but fear not what I have overcome the world. And it's my peace I give you, not as the, as the world gives you, but it's my peace, and my peace passes all understanding. This is what this... Wonderful verses telling us that we can choose not to be anxious in our what's next moment. 
but we could cry out for thanksgiving. We could cry out and pray and ask God, making our requests known to Him because here's the great thing about the Father. He is always calling us to His side. Always calling us deeper. And this great Father of ours wants us to know our next step.